Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. Also, be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. And self-care is such an important part of wellness that I think, especially this past year, has really become more mainstream because, you know, the way that we treat our bodies is the way that our bodies are going to respond and react to the world. Hi, everybody. It's Ash here, and I'm with Sahara Rose. She's the best-selling author of Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda and her new book, Eat, Feel Fresh. She's a leading voice of the millennial generation, and she's really taking hold of the paradigm shift we're all having. I believe her um, her podcast, Highest Self, is such an inspiring place to upgrade your mindset, and that is why we agreed before we started recording that we should talk about the three abundance mindset types as well as some self-care practices. Um, so on this episode, you'll be able to figure out which mindset you have as it relates to money and abundance in general and how to up-level. And Sahara Thank you so much for being here and being with all of us and sharing everything you know. Oh, Ashley, it is such a pleasure to be here, and I love what you're doing on this podcast. Thank you. Um, I'm excited to kind of hear like what got you into this because those of you who don't know Sahara, she's a boss, not only and, and a friend, so I'm slightly biased, but you know, you created a book, self-published, that made a huge mark on the world of Ayurveda. And so I would love to understand like what got you there. What does Ayurveda mean to you for everybody listening who wants to learn about it? And what drives you to be doing this work now? Yeah. So, well, my journey started because of my own health problems. I had really bad health problems when I was in college. I had um, IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome. um, And that caused me to go to tons of gastroenterologists and doctors. And I got off birth control and I never got my period back. And I had really bad anxiety and insomnia. And I started fainting all the time. And I lost like 30 pounds and my hair all fell out. And um, I was super, super just cold and faint and weak and just my body was kind of shutting down and I had no idea what was the cause. And I went to every doctor you could imagine. And again, they just kept prescribing me more medication. So Mm. when doctors had take antidepressants and others had take IBS medication, take birth control, take anti-anxiety medication, just take all these pills and um, then you'll be fine. And I remember asking him like, well, what if I want to get pregnant? If I don't get my period, doesn't that mean I'm infertile? They're like, don't worry, you can get in vitro one day for that. And intuitively, I knew that obviously my body is supposed to function. I'm like, was 21 years old at this time, but no one was giving me the real reason on, on why this was happening. So 
I took matters into my own hands, started getting obsessed with health and wellness and learning everything there was about it. And eventually, when I I had been volunteering in India, I was teaching health and sanitation in the slums. And at that point, I was following following a strict raw vegan diet. And I decided I'd visit an Ayurvedic doctor. I had heard of Ayurveda. I wasn't sure what it was. I thought it was some like weird astrology thing. Um, But I was like, okay, whatever. I have nothing to lose. And I might as well just visit this person. And she, the moment she saw me, she said, Beta, which means daughter. Um, oh, you too pretty to never have baby. I'm like, wait, what? And she just knew all of the problems that I was going with without me even telling her because of the way that I, that I looked. And so I had something called a Vata imbalance, which we'll talk about. It's excess air in the mind, in the body, which sounds really weird, but pretty much it's the cause of the anxiety, the insomnia, the bloating, gas, constipation, low periods, digestive problems. It's all under this one air imbalance. Mm. And I was fascinated because for the first time I felt so understood. Um, but at the same time, the suggestions she gave me were super old school and they didn't make sense for today's time. And I couldn't spend like the rest of my life in the kitchen, like making all these spices and, you know, I'm a busy person. So I knew I wanted to learn about Ayurveda, but I wanted to make it modern. So I decided I'm going to write a book on it. And I had never met an author, never didn't know a thing about the publishing world. And I was like, I'm just going to write a book on it. And like somehow it's going to end up in Barnes and Nobles. And so I did. I lived in India for two years after that, studying Ayurveda full time and writing this book, which I had called Eat Right for Your Mind Body Type, Infusing Ayurveda with Modern Nutritional Science. So at this time, as you can imagine, my parents were not pleased. In fact, they were they were really angry with me because they're like, what is this shit that you're studying? Like you were supposed to become a lawyer. Why are you not following like the rule? Like, this isn't a stable career and you're pretty much going to be a starving artist or writer for the rest of your life and you're never going to make it. So I'm dealing with these health problems. I'm dealing with my family telling me, which escalated and really turned into verbal abuse. Um, but at the same time, the system is healing me and I so deeply wanted to share it. So I... During this time in my life, I ended up graduating college and staying in India. And it was like a lot of turmoil um, because my relationship with my parents had gotten so bad that it was just constant fighting. And it was really their fear of like, how are you going to make it? How are you going to survive and, and pay your bills and do all of these things off writing about Ayurveda that like no one even knows what it is? Um, and it's hard when you have your own doubts and your own fears. Like I wasn't like 100% like this is going to happen. Like I had so many doubts and insecurities and all of the voices that were in my head were being echoed back at me by my parents, the people that you want to please and satisfy your entire lives. Yeah. So I had to pretty much get to this point and it was not an instant thing. It was a lot of back and forth of, do I want to live my own life or do I want to live the life that they choose for me? And the life that they wanted to choose for me was to just get a stable job, get married, have a kid, just, just be normal, just fit in the box. And that was, I, I knew that I would forever be resentful of my parents if I chose that path. But I had never seen anyone else do something different. I did not grow up in an artistic family. My dad is like MIT nerd. Like I grew up in Boston. Like no one was doing this kind of stuff. So I didn't have like an example of like, like I saw like hippie people, but I didn't see anyone that like was taking wellness, spirituality, consciousness, but also had a solid business plan and like had their, had their real feet on the ground. Um, 
so I eventually finished writing the book. I, I was a health coach and any money I would got, I would, I would spend it on hiring editors and graphic designers and really creating this whole book. I did not even know you were supposed to write a book proposal for a book. I thought you just write the book and someone finds it. So I wrote this whole book, spent two years on this book. And then after I'm like, okay, now what do I do? Do I self-publish it? Um, but I felt like if I just self-publish and put it out there, it's not going to make as big of a splash as I really want it to. I really wanted this to be like for people who are lost and confused and have no no doctor, no health practitioner to turn to. Like this is going to be their resource. And I knew that I needed to get it published, but I didn't know how. Then I eventually found a literary agent and we shopped it to 30 different publishers and every single one rejected me. And they said, you're too young. No one gives a shit about Ayurveda. No one even knows what it is. This book's not going to happen. And many, many times I was like, maybe I should just become a real estate agent. Maybe I should just give up on this. Like, do, do people really follow their dreams or is that something that they tell kids and is as actual total bullshit? Mm. Because my parents would tell me my whole life, yeah, be whatever you want. And now that I'm doing it, they're like, no, you weren't supposed to actually do that. So it was definitely a very confusing moment. And many, many times I wanted to just, just forget about it. But something deeper within me was like, you're, you're going to, you're going to birth this project out. And this is just part of the journey. Then that same literary agent two days later gets a call from Penguin Random House, which is the world's largest publisher. And they're saying, we're looking for someone to write the official Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda. So this is going to be the book that um, is part of the Idiot's Guide series, which is in every big bookstore, etc. Do you know anyone? And she's like, oh, well, I know this girl. Um, she writes about Ayurveda. And they're like, oh, I don't really know. First time author and not, not old enough. And she's like, well, let's just give it a try. So Basically, they had an author who was four months in out of a six month project and quit because it was too much work. So they were like, if you were to write the table of contents, what would it be? And this is like an in-depth 400 page booked table of contents. And all of that work, all of that trial and turbulation and confusion was preparing me really for this moment. So I had a week to write that table of contents. I literally just channeled source. What I mean by that is I just really got into the zone and I wrote that table of contents that same day and I sent it back to them, which is like a 16 page table of contents. And then they said, if you were to write the first chapter, what would that be like? So I got in there and the next day I wrote that entire first chapter. I, I went to Barnes and Nobles that day. I read probably 30 idiots guidebooks to like understand their tone. And then I, I wrote that chapter and then two days later, I was hired to write this book. And you would think that that would be a really happy moment in my life. But then I was like, oh, fuck, now yeah. I'm not going to make my book happen because now I'm stuck writing this textbook. So I was like, I'm just going to kind of write it and then wait until my book happens. And then I had this realization, and then I was feeling super stuck. And I had this realization that if I were to die next year, and this is the last piece of work that anyone ever read from me, what would I want it to say? So I made it the best book that I could make it. And it went on to now become the best-selling Ayurveda book globally, the best-selling Idiot's Guidebook ever, and really affect tens of thousands of people's of lives. And then after I finished writing that book, I was like, okay, now I'm going to write my book, my modern version, and that's Eat, Feel Fresh, which just came out last month. 
Ah, oh, this is such an amazing story. It's so funny, Sahara, whenever I have friends on the podcast, because I purposefully try not to research too much about my friends but beyond the conversations we've had. And it's like every time I hear what a magical unicorn is in my life. And I'm just so curious for everybody listening. It sounds like you really got into self-care. And I know a lot of people want to be in that, but they're just not in a place where maybe they know there's so many different rituals. There's meditation, there's hot water with lemon or all sorts of different health things that people could do. And I'm curious, like, what are a few rituals or practices for self-care that you think really move the needle when it comes from the world of Ayurveda and eating and eat feel fresh as well? Yeah. So a big part of Ayurveda is self-care. So for people who are like, I still don't care what Ayurveda is. Ayurveda is the world's oldest health system and it's the sister science of yoga. So the practice of anything related to the mind and body is Ayurveda. The practice of the spirit is yoga. So if you're going to yoga to help with your anxiety, to help with your backache, to get more flexible, you're actually practicing Ayurveda. If you're going to yoga to connect with higher spirit and become one with universal source energy, then you're practicing yoga. So I'm guessing most people who go to yoga classes listening to this podcast are actually practicing Ayurveda. You're going for a mental or physical reason. So we're all practicing Ayurveda. So Ayurveda, the word means knowledge of life. To have true health, you must have full knowledge of all areas of your life, your nutrition, your self-care, your relationships, your environment, all of these things will affect you. Like I can eat all the kale in the world, but if I have a shitty relationship, that's going to bring down my health. And alternatively, I could be, you know, diffusing all the essential oils, but if I feel bad about myself, then that's not really going to be doing that much. So it's really holistic. It's looking at all areas. And self-care is such an important part of wellness that I think, especially this past year, has really become more mainstream because, you know, the way that we treat our bodies is the way that our bodies are going to respond and react to the world. So when we are treating our bodies aggressively, and that could be like, I'm going to do a juice cleanse and I'm going to go to Barry's boot camp and I'm going to do this and that, that is not treating your body with love and compassion. That is essentially, it's like your body is this incredible gift that you were given and you're like, Hey, why don't you give me more presents? Why aren't you faster? Like, why don't you look like that? Like, imagine we are gifted to be in these vessels and all we do is shit talk them and are mad about why they don't look like someone else's vessel. Like that's actually what we're doing to our bodies. So self-care is rewinding that and just saying, thank you for breathing. Even when I don't think about it, thank you heart for beating. Even when I'm not aware of it, Thank you, blood for pumping, even though I don't have to schedule it into my calendar. Like your body is doing so much just for you to survive. And practicing self-care is just a little thank you that we can do on a daily basis. That's just like body, like I got you. Like I'm here for you. I'm here to support you. So Ayurvedic self-care practices, the four that I really recommend are tongue scraping, oil pulling, dry brushing and oil massage. Have you done any of those? I have done the tongue scraping. I have done the sesame oil, but I would love to hear your version of it because I'm a newbie and I feel like I'm about to butcher it for everybody listening. So yeah, I totally understand. And I think for all of us, don't feel like you have to start all of them at once, start at one place and go from there. So I recommend beginning with the tongue scraping because that's the easy one and it's really fun to do. So tongue scraping is basically taking this U-shaped device and scraping your tongue with it. 
The reason why we do it is one, fresh breath, but the real reason is because it helps with your digestion. So when you put food in your mouth, you begin digestion. Digestion starts the moment food enters your mouth. So when your tongue is coated in white sticky mucus, your tongue is not able to sense what are the foods you are eating. It's like there's a blockade. It's like there's like a tongue condom over your tongue, right? <laughs> so your tongue is not able to sense what are the foods you're eating and therefore it's not able to create the correct digestive environment for it. Whereas when you scrape your tongue and it's super clean, your tongue receptors are able to see, okay, I'm eating carbohydrates. I need amylase. Okay. I'm eating a lot of protein. I need more acid. It's able to assess what's going on and have this tongue gut connection that will allow you to digest your food more efficiently. Super cool, right? Yeah. So interesting. And can somebody just get that on Amazon? Do you have a website with it? Like where can people find the right one? Yeah. So I like Thrive Market because they send it to you. Um, you can get it at Thrive Market. You can get it You can get it on Amazon. I recommend getting a stainless steel one. Um, Dr. Tung, that's the one that I use. Dr. T-U-N-G. There's a code Eat Feel Fresh. I think it's like 20% off. Um, but Dr. Tung has a really good stainless steel one. I the traditional Ayurvedic one is copper. The reason why I don't do copper is because sometimes people get heavy metal toxicity with copper, whereas stainless steel is a really solid, um, it's a solid metal. So it's not going to leak. Got it. So, That's so interesting. Yeah. So after tongue scraping, you're going to do the oil pulling and oil pulling is essentially Ayurvedic mouthwash. So with the oil pulling, it removes the bad bacteria without affecting the good bacteria. So just like our guts have a gut flora, our mouths have like a mouth flora. And if we use antibacterial mouthwash, Listerine, et cetera, it's like an antibiotic. It kills everything. It's like a napalm, good and bad, dead. And mm. then what ends up happening is the bad bacteria starts to flourish, which is why people get addicted to Listerine or Listerine strips. Did, were you ever addicted to those? Actually, I literally have been. And it's so weird that you're asking me this, Sahara. Like, I totally had a Listerine <laughs> strip phase. <laughs> Who knew? Like, I think we all did. Like, especially in, like, high school and you're, like, really self-conscious about your breath. <laughs> you, like, just started kissing. You're like, my breath needs to smell like peppermint at all times. <laughs> yeah, but then, like, after, like, one Listerine strip too many, like, your mouth is on fire and you're practically like damaged on your tongue from the Literally. It's like the worst thing that you can do for your mouth. It's like an antibiotic. It just kills everything. Whereas the oil pulling, it gently removes the bad bacteria without damaging the good. It's not as strong and intense as antibacterial mouthwash, but it's so much better for long-term. If you think about if you're cleaning wood floors, we use oil-based wood cleaner. And the reason why is because it can go deep into the pores of the wood without damaging um, the wood. Whereas if you used water, you would not be able to get as deep into the pores. So that's why we use oil for oil pulling. So just put a spoon in your mouth. Coconut oil is good during the summer times or if you're more pitta, more fiery. Um, sesame oil is good in the winter times or if you have more vata, cold body. Um, or you can use grapeseed oil, that's pretty neutral. So you put it in your mouth and you just swish it around your mouth. You can just do it for one minute, three minutes, does not have to be 20 minutes. A lot of people have read articles that say this does not have to be 20 minutes. And just swish it around your mouth. You can walk around like I'm, I'm not staring at myself in the mirror the whole time. Like I'm turning on hot water. I'm, I'm moving. And then you spit it out into a trash can. You do not spit it into your sink because it's going to ruin your plumbing. And the reason why is because when you've swished that oil around your mouth, all of your toxins are going to be 
be removed, all the mucus in your mouth. And if you swish it into your plumbing, into your sink, it's going to destroy everything. You're going to notice when you spit out that oil, it does not look like oil anymore. It's going to look foamy and white. That's how you know if you've done it long enough too. Oh, gross and so yeah. good. Like the only thing grosser is keeping it inside your mouth, I guess, at this point, listening to this. Like in a way, it's so satisfying because you're like, I got that out. Like if I didn't do that, that would have still been in my mouth. So and again, you don't have to do it every day. You can just do it on the weekends and start like that. Like, don't feel like this needs to be like a all in or nothing. Like it can just be something you do on Saturdays and then maybe you start to do it more, but just give it a try. I remember the first time I tried just the taste of oil in my mouth was disgusting for me. I had it there for like 10 seconds and I had to spit it out and then I gave it a try again. And then I tried again and now I'm able to do it and actually love it. I use the coconut oil and I love the taste of it. So it's definitely something that we can all do, something good for when you're traveling, and it's affordable also. Wonderful, and maybe something that can grow on us. And it, do you recommend doing that after you tongue scrape if people were to be implementing it into their regimen every day? Yes, I would do it after you tongue scrape, and then after you do the oil pulling, um, just rinse your mouth out with, out with water. You can even do water with salt, which is even more antibacterial, just to make sure you got everything out of there. Okay, great. And then you said that the third step was... So these you can do at night, and that's dry brushing, which is to take like a loofah brush and to scrape your skin. Um, and the reason why you do that is to remove the dead skin cells, which are pretty much stuck on your skin surface and pre preventing you from getting enough oxygen into your body. So you scrape your, your um, skin, always going upwards towards the heart on your knees and elbows, round places, you do it in circular motions. And then follow that up with abhyanga, which is self oil massage, which is to take oil, sesame oil, coconut oil, grapeseed oil, olive oil, you could use and to just really massage it into your body um, after you do the dry brushing. So it gets deeper into your pores. And if you really want to do it up, then take a warm shower and like sit in the steam. And that allows the oil to further penetrate into your skin. Because a lot of people, they put oil on their skin. They're like, I don't know, it's like going to ruin all my clothes and ruin my furniture. Well, that's because the oil's not going into your skin. It's just staying on the surface. But if you sit in like steam, or if you ever go to a sauna or something, put some oil on before that way it's going to go super deep in there. And then you're going to notice after you probably don't really need oil. Oh, that's so interesting. And those of you listening, if you check out Sahara at I am Sahara Rose on Instagram, you'll notice that she's like the shiniest person you've ever seen. So I think your, your skin is <laughs> shining. You totally do glow. You've got that Ayurveda glow and you're doing all these practices. What is a practice that a lot of people don't do that you think is such a game changer other than these four? Um, in terms of just Wait, wellness what? rituals or different ways to do self-care or improve your quality of life. Because I hear the tongue scraping, the oil pulling, um, you know, like the loofah and also the body massage. And I can see the power of those. But I'm so curious, like, is there something off the beaten path where you're like, this is a very random practice that has been a game changer for me? Honestly, the ones that have been game changers for me are always like just the mental ones of just setting intentions of how I want to feel that day um, and going through life with consciousness and awareness. I think that, you know, the whole reason why we do these self-care practices is not so we can have like beautiful bodies like that is a 
a side effect, but really it's so you can dive deeper into your purpose and why you're here. So for me, just taking a few moments, just writing in a journal of like, what am I feeling like? Okay. I sprained, like I sprained my ankle yesterday. I'm like, what lessons did that teach me? Okay. It taught me to move slower through life. It taught me to look where you're going. Like if we can just look at everything that is happening for us and to look at what lesson that is teaching us, I think that's going to be the biggest game changer of all. Amazing. And life is always serving you. I think that's something that we always talk about on U-Turn Podcast and just reframing the issues as blessings, you know, so I Mm -hmm. I hear you. Hey, U-Turners. So sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Job Offer Academy, our e-course to help you land a new job you love. So if you're sick of applying for jobs and never hearing back, and you'd like to try a free version of our job hunting course, just head on over to U-TurnPodcast.com slash job offer. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash job offer. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Okay, so one of the things we talked about that I'm so excited to get into is money and one's relationship with money, one's mindset with money, and how it relates to the different types. So you have three different abundance mindset types. I would love to hear what they are and help everybody who's listening figure out which one they might be. Yeah. So in my studies of Ayurveda and like trying to figure out how to create a business out of it, I realized that these three doshas are not just related to your health, wellness, nutrition, but also related to your relationship with abundance and and finances and business. Um, So they're based off of the same doshas, the same archetypes, which are vata, air, pitta, fire, and kapha, earth. So air, fire, earth. And they translate to how we interact with with all things in our life. So with money, some of us have a more airy relationship with money. So what do you think that means if I was like, oh, Ashley, I feel like my relationship with money is so airy. I would say it's more like it comes and it goes. Uh (laughs) Exactly. So what do you think that airy, airy type people, they're spending their money on? Probably like fun, like romantic things, like things that like travel and beauty and just kind of like not maybe they're not as responsible with money that's what i'm guessing mm-hmm. totally money comes and goes they want to spend on creative things they're just thinking about the now like what's going to serve me what's going to be like the most exciting thing that i can spend my money on but then what ends up happening is you know when you get into a car accident or this or that happens there's no savings because you didn't think about that you're just thinking about what you wanted to do next mm-hmm. okay so interesting Yeah. So a lot of people, especially millennial women, um, tend to have this airy relationship with money because we feel like talking about money is heavy and it's, it's gross and it's, it's going to bring down our vibe and, you know, we want to stay light and fun and buy like $8 matcha lattes every day, but we don't think about, you know, savings, not a sexy word. Like it's not fun to talk and think about money. But the thing is, if we don't do it and we become money avoidant, then it actually ends up controlling our lives. So, so ironic. That's why I always tell clients, like even in my private practice in the past, that discipline creates freedom, you know? Yes. Okay. And can you tell me a little bit about the Vata personality type without money being considered? Like, what does it mean to be an airy Vata. 
So it's the same exact thing in, in all it's what the beautiful thing about Ayurveda is you can look at everything. So an airy person, we even have the words in the English language, like airy fairy, head in the clouds, space cadet, you know, they're, they're out of touch with reality. So these are people who they're ideas, people, they're visionaries. They're able to be really, really creative, but when it comes to executing, that's when things get a little bit more tough. Hmm. So they can they can think of they can write a screenplay they can think of a cool branding idea they're always thinking about like cool things for their friends but when it comes to actually like implementing like okay what are the action steps like what do we need to do that's when they're like oh I don't really know I'm not sure if that's going to work oh someone's already doing that you get too up in your head and the thing is when you don't have any real foot in the game it's easy to leave. So Vata people, airy people, they tend to be working on a lot of projects at once, but most of the projects stay in this kind of like pre-preliminary phase because they haven't really dove into one. And it's really easy to abandon something when it's when you don't have like a team that's depending on you or clients and, you know, it's so easy when things are up in the air. So what Vata's airy people need to focus on is to execute. It's to bring that idea down and say, okay, what are the action steps I need to take? What are the tangible things I can do to bring this into reality and focus on one thing? It doesn't need to be everything. Like everything can happen in time, but right now just focus on that one thing and really kill it with that. Like I'm very Vata. Like that is definitely the personality type that I was born with. But when I got very, very passionate about writing my Ayurveda, I had to put everything aside. Like I wanted to start a jewelry line and a skincare line and this and that. And I said, that will all come in time, but I need to focus on this one thing. And for Vata is like your biggest learning lesson. And there's a lot of people who have a Vata imbalance, even if they're not born Vata, they have this almost like inability to make decisions because our society were given so many options that it can be really, really hard to assess what is going to best serve me. Like never before in the history of time have we been able to see what everyone in the world is doing. <laughs> so we're like, oh, that one person's a travel blogger and that person's a mom and that person has a business and that person's a public speaker and I want to do it all because we're, we're exposed to it. And that makes us really Vata. That makes us almost restless. Mm -hmm. So to kind of just like put on your blinders, be like, okay, this is what I'm going to get down. I'm going to focus on this. And once I've really rode this wave, then I can go on to the next thing. So what would be the healing opportunity for the Vata person with money? Cause that's definitely me. You said that's you. I'm very much a romantic with it where I'm like, I want to travel. I want to buy this outfit. I want to go on this to this conference. I want to do all the things. Um, what would be your biggest piece of advice or insight for that sort of personality? I know there's a lot of you guys listening. Yeah. So I would take what if you were going to die next year, what is that thing that you would kick yourself over if you did not do mm -hmm. and focus on that? Because too many of us focus on ideas, other people's projects, things that just end up in our laps and they're not really what we want to do. We have to make the decision, not let other people decide for us because to be honest, guys, the bigger you get and the more successful you get, the more people you're going to have that want to collaborate with you. And they're going to have plenty of ideas that can be great, but you have to use your own discernment and say what feels really, really true to me. And then once you start 
working on it. Don't give up the first time things get hard. Don't make a U-turn your first time or your eighth time. Like you have to keep that shit going because no one's first business model is what lasts for the rest of their lives. Like Amazon began as a toy store. Like imagine if it was just only a toy store. Like you have to keep evolving. You're going to keep coming up with things. And sometimes when you're super, super Vata, you're like, I guess it wasn't meant to be. And it could have been meant to be if you just didn't give up on it. Wow, I love this. And it, as far as like the one thing, does it mean like a goal in your career or could it mean like an actual thing you want to buy? Like, for example, I want, I have, a, I own a home uh, and that was like the one thing I always wanted. And I think part of it was kind of wounded because when I was a kid, my dad lost our home. And I like feel like from a karmic level, I was like, I want to give myself a home whenever since I was a kid. But what would be an example of the one thing? What do you mean by that? So let's say for you, you started this podcast and you're like, I want to crush it with this podcast. Like, this is a real priority to me. I want to get the best guests and the best content possible. And I really want to go all in. Like that needs to be on the top of your to-dos, which I know it has been for you. So when you're meeting people, that's the top of mind. When you're interacting with people, you're thinking, okay, how, how can I, not that like every person that you meet, you're going to try to create a podcast guest out of it, but that is something that you are going to keep working out. Whoever your dream guests are, you're going to keep on paving your path to get there. Whereas a lot of people start a podcast and six months later, they're, they haven't had an episode in two months because they haven't gone all in. I don't think you should do anything if you're not going to go all in. I love this. Okay. And talking about the Pitta abundance type, what does the Pitta personality slash money mindset look like? Yes. So from the Vata, we have to move into the Pitta. So if you're Vata, you're listen to this one because that's where you need to be heading. So the Pitta is fire. It is get shit done. It mm. is handling things like a boss. <laughs> it, it's someone that they're like, that's what I want. And I'm going to go get it. So, <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey. <laughs> so they have that personality, which is amazing. And the great thing about it is they do get shit done. They're like, I want that guy. I'm going to get that guy. I want that that job, that house, that whatever. And they're super, super career-oriented and results-oriented. Like Angie Lee has a lot of a lot of pitta and fire in her. Yeah, she totally does. That's She's a good like, example. She's like, I want to start an event, and it's going to have 500 people, and I'm going to make it happen. And she did. So that takes a lot of pitta. It takes drive. It takes energy. It takes passion, determination, grit, courage, like almost think warrior-like qualities, that is Pitta right there. Mm. So think about the fire. Like the fire is transforming things. It can take something and turn it into dust. And it's the most powerful energy out there. And that's what, that's what Pitta is. But the other side of that is sometimes things don't go your way. Ever happened to anyone before? No. <laughs> so sometimes things don't go your way. And that's when the pizza person's like, no, what? I was supposed to have a 500 person event and there are only 300 people signed up. Hire 200 placeholders. Like they will do anything to make that event happen. So even if it's not, you know, the best way. So you have to utilize your other doshas. You can't totally be in, in just one. You have to also eventually trust and surrender. Those are my two mantras for pizza people trust, trust that things will work out as they are meant to be and surrender to the fact that you can only do so much. And then the universe takes the reins at a certain point. So as a Pitta, you need to be able to cool off that fire. That strength is beautiful, but you're not going to be able to push and shove your way through everything in life. And sometimes the things that you are fighting for are not the things that were really meant for you also. So 
Pitta people need to work on just flowing, taking a little more easy, like still continue to work hard, continue to be a boss, but don't get so fixated on the results. And where they need to move into is is more of the earth, more spending time in nature, more just connecting to to their family, to their tribe, to their roots. They need to go down into, like if you know what the chakras are, it's like the lower energy centers in the body. They need to connect to the root chakra and to just get into their bodies again because they can be so tough on themselves that they really don't give themselves enough slack and enough um, real admiration for all the things that they've already done. You know, it's so interesting because when it comes to the money mindset, what what would you say the pitta looks like? Is it the, or the abundance mindset? Is it the person that's like, I'm going to invest everything in this? Or is it somebody that just sets really aggressive goals? Like, what does that look like for everybody listening who in their relationship with money? Yeah. So they're very, very, very calculated with their money. There's someone that they have like their Q1 to Q4 goals. You ask them at any time, like how much money do you have in your savings account? They will know. They, you know, they tend to go into their bank accounts like Chris Harder, super, super pitta. Yeah. They're like, have like money dates for themselves. They like look into all their bank statements and like, that's fun for them actually. So they're very structured. They're very organized. They, um, they like to know where their money is at all times. But what can happen is sometimes they end up only making decisions based off the ROI and they're not able to see how can this really fuel me creatively, you know, because sometimes things don't make sense. Sometimes you invest in something that may or may not work. Sometimes you invest in something that actually makes you lose money, but it makes you feel really good. So mm-hmm. like I was just talking to, to Chris about this and he was saying how Lori's on her book tour. And like when he looks at the finances, he's like, this doesn't really make sense. Like you're traveling all these places and doesn't really make that much money. But she's like, I'm just doing it because I want to connect with people. So that is like, that's where you see, like that's the kapha, the the connection, which is the next dosha that we'll talk about versus the pitta that's like, well, this isn't making financial sense. So should we do it? And a lot of times super pitta people they don't end up doing that thing that they really love because that takes an element of risk and they don't like to take uncalculated risks. Okay. And this is interesting because I, okay, so get in, tell me a little bit about Kafa for everybody listening as far as like their personality and their money mindset. And then I'm curious to understand how all of us often are a blend of these because I identify a lot with a Vata. I'm airy, especially with money, with my creativity, with my visions, but I also have a lot of Pitta in me. And if I want to create something off I go to the races, but unless I feel that commitment or that connection to it, I'm not going to do it. Um, and then there's Kafa, which you talked about, which is all about connection and the emotional bond that somebody might have. So I'm curious to hear what Kafa really looks like. Yes. So yeah. And, and we'll definitely talk about how we are all, all three, but in varying amounts. So the Kafa is earthy. So people who have an earthy relationship with money, they like to keep their money where they can see it in their savings account. They do not invest like Pitta's have been investing from the time they went to prom. They like have all their different accounts set up and they're, they have their accountant who's they're like texting with all the time. Um, whereas Kafa's are like, I just want to have my money right here where it's safe. I don't want to risk it. I don't want to buy some Bitcoins. I don't know what's going on over there. Um, so 
oftentimes they would rather work for someone and know they have a stable paycheck coming than to like go create something that may or may not work. So they really like to keep it stable and structured and and secure. What ends up happening is, again, they oftentimes don't take those creative risks for themselves and they don't end up asking themselves, like, what is it that I really want? Because security is such an issue for them that they're like, let me just pick the most secure, the most stable option instead of like what is actually serving me. Whereas the Vata, they're only thinking about like, what's the most creative thing that I can express myself with? Like, oh, I have to make money. Mm, I didn't think about that. And the Pitta is like, okay, like this is our my well-oiled machine. I'm just going to do like what makes the most business sense. And then the Kapha is like, okay, I'm going to let you guys stress out about that. Like I'd rather, you know, have my paycheck coming. Also know when my vacations are. Also know that I'm out of work at 6 p.m. Like a super Kapha person does not want to be an entrepreneur. And that's totally okay. Not everyone is meant to be an entrepreneur. Like they would rather not work like 24 hours a day, like the way that a pitta would. They like to take their time off. They like to connect with their family and friends. So again, not everyone is meant to be like, I feel like we so glamorize the entrepreneur. And if you're someone really kapha, you do really well with like, like working one-on-one with people, or if you were ahead of like a human resources division or customer service or doing like one-on-one coaching, like that is a really, really good place for a kapha because they love to connect with people. They have very warm, loving personalities. They are super funny, affectionate, like sweet, kind, think Oprah. Mm. Oprah's super, super kapha. Like, why do we love Oprah? Not because she gets on stage and she gives a killer talk and gets the crowd riled up, but it's because she can ask a question and listen. And just that space like this that makes people like really on edge, that is kapha. So So if you feel really uncomfortable, even with me just talking like this, that is a sign that you have really shied away from your kapha. And that's what you need to be moving into. So comforting for you to talk like that. I am down for it all the rest of this conversation. Well, what's interesting is some people, they find it really comforting like you and other people, it gives them like a panic attack Mm -hmm. because they're like, keep going faster. Like I can't deal with slow people. And I mean, I totally feel like that all the time too. But if you can't deal with like the pause and the space and, you know, waiting in line without being on your phone or like having a conversation with someone that's not going to benefit you in some way. Like that is moving so far into the pitta, which our society is kind of training us to be like these like machines that just get shit done that we've taken the human out of things. Mm, So true. Okay. And when it comes to the money relationship that the Kafa has, you were saying that they prefer security. So given that there's these three different personality types and abundance mindsets, How do you figure out which one you really are? Because I think we have all of it, like you said, and I think it'd be helpful to figure out who you are and then what the healing opportunity is for each one. Yeah. So I think that we have phases, but we also have our predominant one that we're more born with. So in Ayurveda, we have something, it's kind of like nature versus nurture. You have your set of the three doshas that you're born with in varying amounts. So you may be born primarily vata, secondarily pitta, lastly kapha. But then perhaps like you mentioned, your your dad had lost your house growing up. So that set the sort of trauma in you that you're like, okay, security is super, super important to me. That maybe was not what you were born with, but that's something that because of your nurture came up. So the first thing that you did when you made money was actually more 
Kafa decision of like, okay, how can I make sure like there's a roof over my head and I don't have to pay rent anymore? Mm. Okay, got that done. Now I can move into creativity. And the way that I see it is it's moving in this cycle. It's sort of like the seasons or precipitation. The vata, the air, is moving into the pitta, the fire. Mm. And the fire is moving into the earth and the earth is moving into the air. So think of it as like the cycle, like when you imagine like the clouds and the rain and then the precipitation, like in school, like that's actually how they're moving. So from the Vata, you need to, you need to take action. You need to execute from Pitta, from executing, you need to take a pause. You need to take a break. You need to step away from the laptop and from that break and pause, that's where the idea comes through again. I love this. Okay. And For anybody listening who's wanting to use their type to heal their relationship with money or upgrade their relationship with abundance, what would be your action step for the Vata, for, you know, the airy person, for the Pitta, for the fiery person and for the Kapha, the earth person? Yes. So for the Vata, I would say, again, take action. Like, don't try to think of another idea, another this, another that. Just start to walk your talk. Just focus on one thing and say, okay, what email can I send today? Can I put up my website? Like you don't, like Vatas, they tend to get super overwhelmed with the enormity of a task. Then they just get paralyzed and don't do anything. And because of technology, it's so much easier than today than ever before to launch your business. Like literally you guys could hop on Squarespace, Wix, whatever, lead pages, create your website today and literally launch your business. Like it doesn't take hiring uh, 50 graphic designers and business coaches and this and that, like that is just your fear creeping up. Like hire those people when the time is right, when you're ready for it and you can take the use. But sometimes people just end up hiring all these people and then they don't take action. And like, what is the point of that? Mm, There's so many people who get paralyzed. Okay. So for the Vata who maybe has some ideas and then they're in paralysis, what suggestion would you have? I would say just, just move, just think, just work backwards. Like what is, what is, okay. Let's say you want to write a book. Okay. Writing a book before I write a book, I have to have a book proposal. Okay. Before I have a book proposal, I have to research. Okay. So what can I research today? Let me focus on that. And then just work backwards and just keep taking action. Don't remain in brain mode, move it through the fire. Okay, that's so helpful. And what about the Pitta? I know both of our girls, so everybody listening, you've probably heard me on Angie Lee's podcast or Sahara um, just on her sh- on her stage. I know, Sahara, you spoke at her event. Um, Angie's very Pitta, like you said. She's fiery. I have some fire in me. I think I've gone through a bit of a burnout, so I think a lot of Pittas probably do go through a burnout at some point. What is your recommendation for somebody who's very Pitta, very fiery? Yes. So move into the earth. You have to step away from the laptop, step away from the craziness and to take that pause. And we have micro pauses, which could look like taking a walk every afternoon, taking a bath, getting a massage. And we have more macro pauses, which could look like taking a month off and just like really focusing on, on your self care and your mindset and like getting back to basics, especially if you're someone who's doing something like managing your own business. Um, you don't take time off at all. You're always on and you're not going to be able to think of your best ideas if you're always on. And we all have, you know, breaks, even if you work in a, a corporate job, like we all have like Christmas off, et cetera, to like use that time wisely. Like what are the things that could really rejuvenate you and fill up your cup? Is that, is that a walk? Is that a yoga class? Is it a sauna? Is it a meditation, sound bath, 
find those things that have nothing to do with work and make them as high of a priority as your work is. Oh, so good. And Kafa, I know the earth grounded humans who value their security. There could be an opportunity for them to potentially take more risks. I don't know what you would say about it, but I find it really interesting. Yeah. So Kafas, they need to dream. Because when you are so stuck in your rut, if you have Gary Vee on top of your head being like, go take action, get shit done, like that's going to be too much for you. Mm -hmm. You need to start dreaming. You need to say, what would my dream day look like? What would my dream career look like? What would my dream home look like? Like, don't worry about if it's tangible or not. Just start dreaming. Vision board, like just start to think, what is it that I really want in this life? Like, what are the skills that I was born with? Like I have a program called Doshas and Dharma. It's how is your dosha related to your dharma, your purpose. So if you have a lot of kapha, your dharma, your purpose is going to be probably related to connection and humans and and just bringing people together. Like that is a skill that you were born with. And sometimes we don't give ourselves credit for that. But being able to read people and listen to people is a major, major skill. So think, what are more ways that I can use that skill in my day-to-day life? Can I get a woman's circle together? Can I get a group of friends together and we make our own mastermind? Can I just like connect every week? Can I have a new girl date and just meet with someone and talk to them? Like we, we all need more of that kapha. Um, but then once you're in that space, like when you're having that talk with a girlfriend, sometimes you come up with ideas that you never would have on your own. So sometimes we need to like fill up that side, like really get into our kapha. And then naturally the idea just sprouts out of thin air. And it's not like you had to go look for it. It's not like our best ideas come when we're like, idea, come on right now. I need you. It, comes when you take a pause and you're not thinking about it and you allow the space for it to come and land through. You know, I just read a study by Stanford that said that 84% of your best ideas come when you're not working. So I can totally see what you're saying here. Yes. Um, Well, Sahara, this has been so amazing. I would love to have you just tell everybody briefly about Eat, Feel Fresh, your book, because I think that there's a lot here for everybody to upgrade their mindset and their being in the world. Yeah. So Eat, Feel Fresh is my modern approach to Ayurveda. So it takes, you know, these ancient topics, it makes it really, really approachable for today. So the first half is really explaining Ayurveda, how to eat the right foods for your dosha, because you can actually eat foods that will support you and it will actually help you with your abundance and your business and your relationships, because we are truly what we eat. So it talks about the doshas and then offers over a hundred plant-based gluten-free recipes that you can make at home using like really easy ingredients that you can just find at like your local Trader Joe's or wherever you shop. And to start eating foods that support you, not just your body, but also your mind and your spirit. Ah, so good. Where can everybody find you, Sahara? I know everybody's going to be listening to Highest Self podcasts after this and picking up your book, but where else can everybody follow you? Yeah, so they can find me over at Instagram. My Instagram is at I am Sahara Rose. If you found me here on the U-Turn podcast, send me a DM. I'd love to hear from you. And yeah, um, my website, also I have a dosha quiz that you can take. It's IamSaharaRose.com. It's right on top. And then I email you a mini course and it's a really good way of understanding what your dosha is. That is so helpful. Thank you so much, Sahara. This has been great. Uh, Thank you so much for having me, Ashley. Hey guys, it's Ashley Stahl just unpacking this episode with Sahara Rose and it was so hard for me to get on here and do 
this post episode conversation with you because I was in such a wellness kick back in late like 2018 before the holidays. And now I just fell off the boat, you know, and have been doing a reset. And so instead of telling you all of the things you should do or telling you I'm doing all of the things that Sahara recommended, I'll tell you the things that I've tried that I've been the most happy about and excited about that have actually done a difference for me. And now that I'm going into this reset, what am I implementing back into my life health-wise, um, given all of this knowledge that I have from people like Sahara? So she talked about tongue scraping and warm water with lemon. Those are two things that I've already brought back into my life. Um, but what I will say has rocked my world the most. And if you've never listened to this episode with Emily Fletcher on meditation, I can't recommend it enough is I've gotten back into meditating. And that is the thing that has offered me the most. So if you've listened to that episode, awesome. If you haven't and you don't have that much time or you don't want to listen to the whole thing, at least fast forward to the post-episode conversation where I talk about how you can get started in meditating. But what I will say is that meditation has totally rocked my world. And I'm kind of surprised at myself that I let myself completely fall off, but trying not to judge myself and just get back on the wagon. And so the way that I operate when it comes to meditation is I'm up really, really early in the morning and, um, you know, when I'm doing things the way I want to. And I have been spending the past week in the jungle in Bali, and I'm probably going to be here for another month. So I've been waking up at, you know, six in the morning, going to bed at 930 at night, and it has done wonders for me. And when I wake up at six, 630, before I even look at my phone, I just start to meditate for 20 minutes. And I'll put my phone on airplane mode. I'll peek over at it if I'm wondering if I'm close to the 20 minute mark, just keep my eyes closed and I keep repeating my mantra in my head. So you can pick a word for your mantra if you want. It could be peace, it could be love. And you just, it's not like you keep forcing yourself to repeat it. You get into your meditation, you hang out and you allow the word that you want to focus on to float in kind of like the winds of your meditation allow it to. It's not something that should be forceful. Um, so that's kind of how I meditate. I just sit there in silence with my eyes closed for 20 minutes, complete stillness and repeat the word as it comes into my mind and I let it drift away and drift back over towards me. So what have I gotten out of meditation? Um, well, number one, there's so many things that do happen to your body when you go 45 seconds into meditation, your temperature cools, um, and you go into an alternate sleep state, um, just so powerful and so worth listening to the episode with Emily Fletcher if you haven't already. Um, but what I will say is that one of the best health concepts I could talk about is in the way you talk to yourself. And I think that, you know, Sahara and her podcast, Highest Self Podcast, is incredible uh, and totally worth listening to if you're into your spirituality. She's really a boss babe at that. But what I've learned in my own work is ultimately my wellness. No matter what tongue I'm scraping, no matter what meditation I'm doing, you know, it comes back to how I talk to myself. And that is one of the things that I'm the most committed to is being my own stalker, for lack of a better term, and watching myself, watching the thoughts that fly through my head like clouds in the sky, watching um, you know, my mental skies and being the air traffic controller, watching what thoughts float through. And what I've found is that 
because most of our thoughts are on repeat 98% a day. And that statistic is real. That means today you are thinking 98% of the same things you thought yesterday. So 2% of your thoughts today most likely are newbies. Otherwise, you've just recycled from yesterday. It's kind of mind-blowing. So what I would love for you to do since Sahara was so beautiful in sharing some wellness practices that you can implement into your life right now is instead of talking to you about your wellness when it comes to these practices, talking to you about how to shift the thoughts that you have. Um, so what I would love for you to do is every time you feel a thought um, that is less than optimal, that hurts your feelings, that hurts your heart, write it down for the next seven days and start to notice which one hurts you the most. So maybe you can do it in your iPhone on your notepad or your Android notepad, whatever you want. But as the day goes on, just kind of commit to as you see a thought that hurts, write it down and just start to keep track of what are the most repeated thoughts because those are the ones that are embedded in your consciousness and that are really there to stick. So I would love for you to just consider that, be with that, think about that and um, use your own emotional well-being, the conversations you have with yourself as a tool for your own ascension and growth. Um, and after all, it starts with really the awareness of seeing what you're thinking. So quick episode, post episode notes today because I don't feel like I'm in integrity to be talking to you about how to be the wellest person of them all when I myself am working on this, um, but excited and would love for you to DM me on Instagram and let me know what are some wellness routines that you have in your life. I love routines. Um, one wellness routine I have in my life is a blueberry smoothie. I've been having lately with organic frozen blueberries, a half of a frozen banana, a bunch of spinach, um, cashew milk, and sometimes cashew butter and some plant protein. That's been my go-to smoothie every single morning. I'm curious what wellness rituals you have in place. Um, would love to hear. So yeah, hit me up on the gram and uh, at Ashley Stahl and I can't wait to connect next week. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has down the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode.